When the invitation comes, it is not a question, but a statement, delivered with a grin, a firm hand on the shoulder. Barry, you and me, Liberty Ridge, Memorial Day. An elite mountaineer, whom I will call Dan, recalls our conversation from years past. I had told him that should the stars someday align, I would climb Liberty Ridge, a steep and narrow passage on the north face of Washington State's iconic Mount Rainier. Dan is in full and aggressive preparation for a guided ascent of Mount McKinley in June. He needs a shakedown expedition, a practice run, a partner. Sure, I say, with a shrug. Dan's head goes back a little. Really? Great! He slaps my shoulder. And so begin two months of preparation, anticipation, and dread. I'm not an elite mountaineer. I'm a husband and father, a doctor working urgent care. These roles, the common and quotidian, are what define me. I came to the Northwest eager to conquer Rainier and the North Cascades, spent more than a decade chasing summits with determined ambition. But I have left that life behind, and for seven years have rarely ventured above treeline. Between the demands of work and home, I keep my dance card full. Solid climbing partners are hard to come by. There is also the matter of a rocket-fast slide down a sheet of ice, a peek into oblivion, a subsequently complex and ambivalent pas de deux with fear. I contemplate the risks I once took and I shudder, but still I dream of climbing. Still hunger for that rarefied, purgative release. Dan's offer takes me off guard, and in that moment, somehow, I cannot say no. I walk a narrow ledge between declivities, between elemental desires fundamentally in conflict, to live entirely for others whose security depends on my safety, or to err in the ancient sense, to stray, which in my case means to partake in alpine mountaineering. Nobody wants to wake up and see in the mirror one whose days of discovery are over. You know the one I mean. Probably you know several. Whose drooping eyes and defeated posture reveal a soul figuratively dead. I remain fervent in my commitment never to become that guy. His fate, however, is not the one most urgently to avoid. First and foremost, I must not become that guy. Capitals and italics. That guy is not just figuratively dead. That guy is literally dead. He is the husband and father who follows the errant voice a step too far, who lets himself be killed in the mountains. Our climb of liberty is nine days away when that guy makes an appearance in the news. Forty-six years old, swept from the north face of Mount Shuksan by a spring avalanche. His wife a widow? three children rendered fatherless in a twinkling. I scan the climber's bulletin boards, comb the story in obsessive detail. Like so many life planners of my generation, this month's edition of That Guy delayed parenthood until his middle thirties. His youngest daughter, not yet ten, beams from the photos in his Flickr account. Dad grins beside her, unaware he is part of a memorial tableau. Friends and family stare at this image and curse his narcissism, his boyish blindness. No one will say what everyone is thinking. How dare he have chosen to place himself at risk? Testimonials abound to that guy's uncompromising dedication to family.
Others lament the fickle hand of fate. At least one tone-deaf idiot is certain to post, he died doing what he loved. Damn right, that guy was doing what he loved. And this action is precisely what has torn a ragged hole in the guts of those who loved him. The element of choice, so prominent in his abandonment, will linger in their vitals for years. An embedded foreign body that fights against the closure of a wound.